Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. His love is so great and we're grateful for it. We are looking forward to Thanksgiving and being grateful and even though it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, right? Even though there's a little snow on the ground, I can be thankful. It's kind of beautiful, actually. It's covering up a lot of things. And did you notice, too, as you came into the church this morning, it looks a little like Christmas inside, too. The, the building has been decorated on the interior. And to all the men and women who were here yesterday, thank you. What a great team it was. It really was excellent. And we had a good time being together. Uh, I didn't do a lot of the work. I can't take any credit, really. But there was a lot of people here working hard and, uh, for their church and uh, making it beautiful. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It was really a major effort, I'll say. And that's just a really, really poor and crummy transition into the majors that we're talking about this morning, the major prophets. Uh, but it was, hey, it was some way to transition and tie it in. We've been talking about the major prophets and what they've had to say in their writings and their prophecies for the past number of weeks from Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And now this week in our reading, we've gone through the entire book of Daniel. If you've been following along in our reading plan uh, Ezekiel was 48 chapters, so that took us a number of weeks. Daniel was one, one week, kind of a short book in comparison to Ezekiel. So what, how is he major? How, how does that make him a major prophet? Well, Daniel, the man ministered for a long time, decades, decades. And how do we know that? Well, he gave us clues. He wrote it down. He gave us really some great insight in his writings opens his book. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, gives us a date. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he wrote, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So that was the, the first siege of the city of Jerusalem by, Dan, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. And that was about 605 B.C., it's historical, the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Daniel was taken captive. And Daniel wrote this about the, uh, this siege and the, the captivity. He, he said, Nebuchadnezzar, this king of Babylon, took captive young men who were without any physical defect. They were handsome. They were showing aptitude for every kind of learning. They were well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So this was a select group of young men. The king came, he seized the city of Jerusalem, he started cherry-picking, plucking all the great minds of the young men. Daniel might have been know, 16, 17 years old, maybe 18, perhaps 20, but a young man in the prime of his life, and he's taken away. We learned that early on. And then later in Daniel's book, the final date we read about later, it's in chapter 10. And 
Daniel says it was the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Hey, the Babylonian Empire's gone. Now the Persian Empire's there. And this was about, oh, 537 BC. So it's about a span of 70 years. Daniel lived a long time. And he lived through changes of ruling monarchs. He lived through the changes of empires, not just one king to the other, but an empire would fall and another one would take over. The Babylonian empire, which first captured and took this young man captive, it fell to the Medes and the Persians. They took over and Daniel remained and he remained serving as it was when he was first taken. Someone who would serve in the king's palace He remained serving in the upper echelons of uh, leadership even after the empire changed. He was a true major prophet who maintained his integrity and his faith throughout these many years of uh, his lifetime and his ministry, and his faith was tested. Early on in his captivity, his faith was tested, and throughout his lifetime, and it's one of these testings that we're going to focus on this morning, a very famous episode in Daniel's life. If I were to play a word association game to you and say it's uh, the topic is biblical characters, and I say Daniel, you say lion's den. Exactly, precisely. It's one of the most famous accounts in the Bible. And this morning, I want to look at this incident, but not Not necessarily when Daniel was tossed into the lion's den and all that happened, but what led up to this? And what occurred prior to Daniel being cast in with all these lions? Now, this is Daniel chapter 6, and it's early in the reign of King Darius, the Mede. And now, I I call him Darius. You might say Darius. Tomato, tomato, I'm calling him Darius. Uh, He's mentioned at the end of chapter 5. He's the king who conquered Babylon. So now at the open of Daniel chapter 6, Darius appoints some leaders in his empire, 120 governors, they're called satraps, to uh, rule throughout the empire. But above these 120, he has three administrators, And one of those three top executives is Daniel. And verse number two of Daniel chapter six tells us the reason that the king put these three administrators in place. And it reads, so the king would suffer no loss. And why would he he be concerned about that? Well, He's got 120 people spread across the empire leading, but he doesn't want any skimming off the tax rolls. He doesn't want any off-the-book transactions. Nobody's going to be lining somebody's pockets and taking away any revenue that's due the king and the, the empire. So Daniel and these other two, they've got this oversight role, so the king would suffer no loss. And Daniel stood out as exceptional in his leadership and in his administrative capacity, King Darius took note of this. And he saw Daniel's exceptional qualities and his great character. And then the king made it his intention to promote Daniel to the sole administrator. 
In other words, he was going to be prime minister over the entire empire. There's the king, prime minister Daniel, and then everybody else. Well, the king's intention, now this became known to all these other uh, governors. And what, what do you think they would do? What, what happened? Did they go over and congratulate Daniel? Hey, great job. We're looking forward to you being our, our, our supreme boss. Yeah, great. Did they commend him for his fine work? No, they did not. He was up for promotion, and then he's immediately opposed. It's really not that unusual. It's not that unusual in business settings. It's not that unusual really anywhere. Someone gets up for a promotion and people are like, oh, that guy's going to get it or that gal's going to get it. They don't, I should be the one. And, you know, jealousies and envies, they start to, they start to show. This was uh, what was going on in Daniel's time. You know, there were special interests. There was self-interests, narcissistic people, jealous, envious of Daniel's favor with the king. It was a political group, of course. They were leading an empire. And does any of this sound familiar? Has, it, has anyone really been paying attention to what's going on maybe in the House of Representatives? You know, with the party that's taken power. And there was really, you know, it was a done deal, right? There was going to be a Speaker of the House. And that was it. It was, you know, leading all up to this. But now, oh, gee, there's infighting and backstabbing and all this uh, going on, squabbling and such and... Maybe it's not a done deal like it looked a little while ago. That's, some things never change. Somebody's going to be in power. Somebody else doesn't like it. So these governors and these administrators, they didn't want Daniel to take power. And let's read about that. Let's read about why that might be. It's Daniel chapter 6, verse number 4. And it reads this way, this one verse. At this... And that's hearing about Daniel might become the prime minister. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So they couldn't find anything wrong with this guy, no corruption. And who'd want to work for who'd want to work for that? Really? Who'd want to work for him? He can't be bribed. He can't be bought off. There's no way to get a kickback. No way to get a payoff. Is there going to be any backroom deals? No, not with Daniel. He won't lie for me. If I drop the ball, who's got my back? He's not going to lie for me. How am I going to be able to rig an election with this guy? We're not going to be able to get anything done. And in government. Do you realize we got to be greasing someone's palms to be getting things done? And Daniel's going to have none of that. So what was, the, uh, what was their, their plan? They need to get rid of him. And how, how's that going to be accomplished? He's a boy scout. This guy is so straight-laced. He's a goody two-shoes. He's got no skeletons in the closet. See, if you've got a skeleton in the closet, again, if you've been paying attention to the news, someone's going to run for some kind of office. The first thing that happens, let's find the skeletons in the, in the closet and, you know, knock this person down. But what can be done with a guy that's so straight? So these Daniel haters, they hatched a plan, and this is verse number five. 
Daniel 6, verse 5, it says, Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. This is all they could come up with. We need to do something to pit this man against his faith and maybe against the law of his God. If we do that, then maybe, maybe we'll have a chance because we know when the law of man and the law of his God conflict, which way is he going to go? He's going to go with his God. He's going to go with his faith. Brother Barry Allen opened uh, Wednesday evening talking about this. And it was the same kind of response. He's, he's, is this all they got? This is all they could come up with? They're, they're looking at each other saying, we've got to come up with something to make this guy deny his faith. And there's a first point of application this morning. How are you known? How are you known? If you were coming up for a promotion at work, if at school you were going to be placed in some special role, would your reputation of integrity and trustworthiness precede you? Would those affected by your promotion be speaking about your abiding faith, how there's nothing that we could have against this person? There's no corruption at all? Would they be speaking about your faith in Jesus? You know, whether you're being embraced or rejected, you know, whether you're being uh, drawn in or pushed away, would it be because of your sterling reputation and your Christian character? For someone to find fault in you, would it be that they would have to create some kind of conflict some direct contradiction with your faith. This is the example of Daniel. He was known to be reliable and upright and honest. He was a man of impeccable character with a steadfast and immovable faith in his God. How are you known? Because Daniel was known to be so devout to his God, this is what his adversaries did. This is all they could do. They crafted a law that said, for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or any human other than King Darius, that person will be thrown in with, a, with the lions. So they took this draft of their law to, to the king. And they, they lied to him. They lied to King Darius. They said, king... All the governors, all the administrators, all the leaders, all the advisors, they have agreed that this would be a great law of the land. But they were lying to the king because they weren't all agreed. All the advisors didn't come together. They left one person out of the loop, and that was Daniel. He hadn't agreed to this law. And and there's another little takeaway here. These enemies of Daniel, they were in essence opposing God. Yeah, they're coming against the man, but they're opposing God. They're opposing his faith. They're opposing the true God. And when there's an opposition to God, it's never an honest 
proposition. It's never a completely honest proposition. Opposition to God is rooted in a lie. Jesus said that the devil does not hold to the truth. There's no truth in him. He said, he said when he lies, he is speaking his native language because he's, the li- he's a liar and he's the father of lies. And that's John chapter 8. So Daniel's enemies, they rooted their scheme against him in the devil's native language, a lie. And after the lie came flattery. The king was manipulated. They played him. They played on his ego. And they put him above everybody. They put him above every god. Oh, king, we can only pray to you for the next 30 days. We can only come to you for advice because there's none greater than you. So the king turned a listening ear. He liked this idea. He agreed to their idea. He signed the law, became the law of the land, signed it, sealed it. No prayer to any human or God except King Darius for the next 30 days on penalty of being cast into the lion's den. Now let's consider how Daniel responded. This is verse 10 of Daniel chapter 6. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where he opened where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day, got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Now this is a remarkable, amazing response. Daniel knew the consequences to breaking the law. We read that in verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, it had been published. He knew the consequences. Death by the jaw of a lion. Now he's got options, doesn't he? Think about this for a minute. This was not such a bad law. It wasn't really that difficult. It didn't force you to do anything. There was no coercion here that you must do something. It didn't say you have to honor this false god or bow down before this image. It was not an edict to worship or to pray to Darius. No, it was purely optional. If you want to pray, it had to be to the king. And there's a time time limit on it. It's going to expire. The law is going to expire in 30 days. You could abstain if you want. This was not a law that demanded, you must renounce your God and worship an idol. And there's a big difference. There is a big difference between a demand to renounce your faith and disavow your God and your Savior and being told, hey, just for the next 30 days, hit the pause button. Don't pray. Daniel had been praying every day. We read that. It was was his custom, just as he had done before, three times a day. He's well up in years now. The Babylonian Empire has fallen. The Medes and the Persians have taken over. This guy's been praying every day for decades, maybe seven decades, 70 years. That's 840 months. 
Now, what would be the problem if he took a break for one month? What's one month to 840? That's about a tenth of 1%. Really, seriously. Could you give up a tenth of 1%? Who's going to notice? He could give that up. And so I got a question for you. And only you can answer this question. I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything. But if you were told you can't pray for the next 30 days, how would that affect your life? Would it affect your life at all? I want to ask you a question too, another question. Did you notice this morning at the open of the service, Brother Barry did not pray. Did anybody notice that? few people. I asked him not to pray. He didn't make a mistake. I, I said, Barry, when you go out, don't pray. And he looked at me kind of funny. Now, I will assure you, before every service, behind this sanctuary, there's a room. All of us gather who are going to be up here and have any part in the, in the service at all. And we pray. And we invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of this service. And we prayed this morning before our service, but I just threw this at him and I said, don't don't pray this morning. And I wonder how many people will notice. And then afterward, Brother Barry said to me, that was weird, that was strange. And why? Because it's important to us. Because it's meaningful. We want to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to be a part of every single service and gathering that we have. We want to ask God to be a part of it. You know, we're not up here doing things on our own. It's, it, it, it isn't about a person. It's about God, and it's about our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we want him exalted in every single service and gathering, so we want to take time to invite his presence And if you noticed that we didn't this morning, I hope it felt strange to you. I hope it felt weird. It's not just something we do because it's tradition. If you were told you can't pray for the next 30 days, would it affect your life? For Daniel, the answer was yes. It's going to affect my life. And he wasn't going to shut out God for 30 days. He wasn't going to shut out God for one day, even if it meant becoming a meal for the lions. He was not intimidated by the trap that was laid by his adversaries that was rooted in a lie. He was going to continue to interact with his Lord as was his habit. But it was more than a habit. It was about a relationship. Daniel had a relationship with the Lord. He relied on the Lord. He trusted his God and he talked with his God. He acknowledged God as the one who had blessed him with wisdom and understanding and blessed him in his time of captivity. Daniel's was not some rote duty done out of an obligation. He wasn't praying three times a day because of a law or because of a rule. It wasn't about 
Oh, God will bless me if I pray a certain number of times a day. Oh, gee, God's not going to bless me because I only prayed twice today and not three times. It wasn't about a, a rule and do this and don't do that. Daniel knew God. He had a relationship with God. When we read through the book of Daniel, uh, we discover that Daniel identified God like this. He said, God, and these are, these are Daniel's words. He said, Lord, you're great, and you are an awesome God. Lord, you are merciful, and you are a forgiving God. Lord, you are righteous. Lord, you keep your covenant of love with those who love you. Here's a man who was taken captive from his homeland at a young age, ripped from his home, taken to some foreign country where he had to serve. And he said, God, you've given us a covenant of love. I mean, he is seeing God in all of the blessing. Daniel wasn't praying to God out of duty. He wasn't going through motions. He loved God. His prayers were more than a habit. His prayers were about relationship with God. Now let's consider how Daniel interacted with God. And I want to highlight two aspects of his interaction. First, Daniel looked to God. We read, he kneeled down at the windows that were facing Jerusalem. And why was that? Jerusalem, well, it was the city of God. Jerusalem was the place that Daniel knew from his boyhood, from his youth. This was his homeland, and the presence of God resided there in the temple in that city. And I'm sure Daniel also knew because he was a man who studied God's word, knew God's word. I believe that he knew the prayer of dedication that was prayed over the temple when it was first opened. The prayer that King Solomon, centuries before Daniel, had prayed because it was recorded in 1 Kings chapter 8. And Solomon prayed like this. He said, Lord, when the people sin against you and when they are taken captive to a foreign land, If they repent and if they turn back to you and if they pray toward the land you've given them and if they pray toward the city you have chosen, Jerusalem, and if they pray toward the temple that we have built in your name, God, then, Lord, hear their prayers and uphold their cause. This was part of the prayer of dedication that Solomon prayed over that temple. And I believe Daniel knew it. So Daniel was doing just exactly what Solomon had said. He had already been taken captive. The people had sinned so much against God that God let the city fall. And Daniel did what Solomon said. He's looking to the city, and he's looking to the temple. But the city was gone. By this point in time, the city was destroyed. The temple was gone. The temple, too, had been destroyed. And yet Daniel's still looking that way. Why is that? He's not looking to a building. He's not looking necessarily to a plot of land. He is looking to God. He is looking toward his God. He he is inviting the presence of God by, by doing that. He's looking toward God Almighty. The physical city and the physical temple, that didn't matter. It didn't need to exist for Daniel to look to his God. And what is the example to us? 
We don't need a place. It's not about a place or a temple. When we pray, when we pray, look to Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. He is the author and he is the perfecter or the finisher of your faith. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and he scorned its shame to win a way for us, for you and for me, for mankind to be reunited with God where the living Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Consider Jesus and what he endured for you so that you will not grow weary and that you will not lose heart. That's Hebrews 12, chapter two. Consider Jesus and what he endured for you so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. And that's a great way to pray. It is a great way to pray. Look to Jesus when you pray. Set your focus on Jesus and consider what he endured for you so that whatever you're praying about, whatever you're praying about, he's, he, he's suffered. He's been through things for you. He endured it for you. Invite his, his presence. Dwell in his presence so you don't grow weary and lose heart. That's one aspect of Daniel's interaction with God. A second, a second aspect to note as an example for us from Daniel's prayer is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now, this to me is the most incongruent part of this whole narrative, of this whole account of Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel got down on his knees giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And that is, it's sort of difficult to take in. Here's a guy who was taken captive. He was taken by force, removed from his home. At a young age, everything he knew was gone. He's been placed into foreign land. As the crow flies, he's, he's looking out a window, it's it's over 500 miles away. No way he can't even see it. 500 miles back then, that might as well, might as well be a million miles. That's, that's month's journey. He's been in captivity for over half a century. Now, he's fared better than some of his countrymen, yes. He has been uh, serving in an upper area, but his life has been threatened. It has been threatened before, and now there's been 120, over 120 that have conspired against him for his life to kill him, to see him die. His life is being threatened again. Now, I can understand him praying, Lord, help me. But what has he got to be thankful for? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I've been captive for decades here. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I'll never see my home again. Thank you, Lord, my enemies. They're out to get me. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to become cat food. And we can always find the negative, can't we? I mean, no matter where we are in life, we could probably go to the negative. But Daniel the prophet wasn't doing that. No, I'm guessing that he was giving thanks in a much different way. Thank you, Lord, for your promise 
to restore my homeland. Thank you, Lord, for preserving my life when it's been threatened. Thank you, Lord, for your love and for your mercy. I trust you, Lord, even if I have to go to the lions. I think that was the heart of his thanksgiving. The rest of the story, Daniel was found guilty. Uh, he was caught because his windows were open. He's found guilty of violating the king's law. King couldn't do anything about it, though he tried. He wasn't happy because he liked Daniel, and he paced the floor for a while, but he had signed the law. If he had rescinded the law, what happens to him? Nobody's going to really believe him in the future if he puts a law together. So he doesn't rescind the law. He throws Daniel into the lion's den. But God shut the mouths of the lions. God rescued and saved Daniel, saved his life. But did he know that when he prayed? He trusted, but he didn't know the exact future. What he knew, what he knew for certain, he's facing the lion's den. And he gave thanks. He was facing the loss of his life, and he gave thanks. Now, this spirit of thanksgiving that Daniel has, this example, it's echoed for us in the New Testament. In Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, he wrote this, Philippians 4, 6, he said, don't be anxious about anything. Hard to read. Don't be anxious about your life. That's what Daniel was doing. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Every situation, every issue, every time. The good and the not so good. The awesome and the terrible. Approach God in prayer with thanksgiving. Now, the, the way that I see it then, thanksgiving empowers prayer. We, we celebrate our national thanksgiving day this week. Now, that's a once-a-year focus to bring thanks, to be grateful. And that's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a positive. But let's let that spirit of gratefulness, that spirit of thanksgiving be more than just a once-a-year. Let's let the spirit of thanksgiving be an everyday endeavor, even if you're facing your own personal lion's den. Is there anyone in the house facing your own personal lion's den? Maybe you've got issues coming against you. Hey, maybe you've received a promotion or somebody told you you're going to be promoted and everybody's out to get you now. At the end of Daniel chapter 6, King Darius wrote a new declaration. And in one of the lines, he wrote this. The God of Daniel, he rescues and he saves. See, if you're facing a den of lions, if you're facing adversaries, you've got some issues in front of you, if you feel like you're already in the pit, if you feel like you've already been tossed in there, 
and the lions have surrounded you. God rescues and he saves. Remember, it is the devil's native language to lie. If you're being tempted, if you're being pulled away, if you're being tested, if you're surrounded by enemies and adversaries, there's a lie in there somewhere. Don't believe it. Do not believe it. Follow the example of Daniel. Follow his example. Pray. Pray often and regular, but not because it's a rule, not because it's a duty. Pray often and regular because you have a relationship with God. Build your relationship with Jesus Christ. Talk to him. If you want to deepen your relationship with God, focus on Jesus. Focus. Look to Jesus. Remember what he did. Remember what he endured for you. And Jesus said, ask the Father in my name. Do that and be grateful. Be thankful. Be thankful to God. No matter the circumstance, I guarantee you have something to be thankful for. You you might have the, the temptation to turn to the negative, but I guarantee you have something that you can say, thank you, God. Thank you. Yeah, maybe I've been looking the wrong way. I've been looking at the negative. But yes, there's a positive. Declare it to God. Tell him that. Say, thank you for that. And let that thanksgiving empower your prayer. Because then it'll empower your life. Like a guy like Daniel. Let's, let's stand this morning. And uh, that, that song that we sung or we, we, we heard it ministered to us at our time of giving. Let's sing that together. It's about being thankful and grateful. And I just want to invite anyone here. You know, if you're facing something, and listen, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as a lion's den. I mean, maybe you just, maybe you just have a decision to make. Maybe there's just been something in your life that has been unresolved and it's been difficult. You can come to these altars and talk to the Lord. And if you want somebody to pray with you, we have people here who will, they're, they're workers here at these altars. They'll pray with you and pray with a heart of thanksgiving. Just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I got breath in my lungs. I'm here. I'm upright today. Thank you. And let that thanksgiving empower your prayer. Father God, it is with gratefulness, thankfulness in our hearts that we honor you this morning. You are God and there is none other. You are the God who sent us our faithful King Jesus who restored us to good relationship with you, Father, by the cross, by his sacrifice what he endured for us. We're grateful, Lord. We're grateful. Never let us put aside thankfulness. Help us to always be grateful, regardless of what we face, regardless of what's in our life. Lord, we have hope because we have Jesus. And may we always remember that and be grateful for it. Our hope is in the Jesus, in the cross of Christ, and what he's accomplished for us. We're grateful, God. We thank you. Thank you for eternal life, a gift we didn't deserve that you bestowed upon us. 
we're grateful. Father, bless us. Bless your people. Bless them, Lord, with your many and magnificent blessings as they go watch over families. Lord, for every family that's represented in this sanctuary this morning, Lord, may your blessing be upon them and with them. May your protection go before them. Lord, you preserved a man like Daniel for 70 years, though he's faced his life threatened and he was captive for decades. God, protect us, protect our families. We put them into your hands, Lord, and we're grateful. We know that you have angels that you set in charge over yours, Lord, and we pray that you would continue to do it. Watch our going out. Watch our coming in. Preserve us, Lord, and preserve our souls. We love you. You, Lord, may this blessing rest upon your people. Help us to just have a wonderful time this week, Lord, regardless of our circumstances, because we thank you for all that you've done. God, may it be the spirit that we carry every day. Bless your people as they go and return them, Lord, to once again gather in your name. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy and his precious name. Amen. 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 Happy Thanksgiving.